As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On today's Fantasy Baseball in 15, we'll discuss some closer developments in our Tout Wars teams. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had uh, three co-brews uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, March 24th. I'm Al Melkier, and with me here is Derek Van Riper and DVR. We were hoping we could uh, do an episode that was mostly about our recent uh, Tout Wars drafts, but reality has intervened, and uh, in some cases uh, in a very unfortunate way. So let's uh, kick this off by just noting that Fernando Tatis had to leave the game with the trainer early on Tuesday during Tuesday's game. Uh, we, as of recording this right now, don't really have any information other than that. But obviously, this is something we're going to have to watch really closely. Yeah, I mean, understandably, the Padres will be very careful with him. The benefit of having great depth is you don't have to force a player back too quickly. But we're still really awaiting more details, and that'll shed some light on the possibility of Tatis missing time once the games begin to count. All right, and in other unwelcome injury news, not that there's ever welcome injury news, but uh, George Springer's been diagnosed with a grade 2 oblique strain. If there is a potential silver lining here, it's that it is still possible he may not miss much time, possibly not any time at all in the regular season. But I would think that certainly if you've got Springer on your roster, you need to start taking a look at your your week one alternatives. Yeah, I would think in the case of Springer, since they're calling it grade two, he probably will miss some time, probably will have a short IL stint to begin the season. Again, that's just basing it off of the grade they're putting on that oblique strain. Uh, all it means is Randall Gritchick's going to play to begin the season. He was the odd man out of sorts when you looked at this depth chart with all the changes that happened during the offseason. But now I think Gritchick begins the year as the primary center fielder, holds that job until Springer comes back, and then we see Gritchick kind of fall into that maybe three starts per week sort of semi-regular part-time role that people have been projecting for him. All right, and then another outfield situation that at least at the beginning of the year is not necessarily going to be the one we envisioned, and that's the Twins. They optioned Alex Kirilov on Tuesday, so who fills out that outfield to start the season? You know, I think it's Luis Arias. Arias can play 
at least three infield spots. We've seen him at second. We've seen him at short. We've seen him at third. But we've also seen him play some left field back in 2019. So I think he's the guy that actually opens the year getting most of the playing time there. You know, Jake Cave is technically the fourth outfielder. But when you think about Arias's OBP skills and where he would fit in to the Twins lineup, I actually think there's a little window here in leagues where Arias might have been undrafted to pick him up and possibly sneak him into your lineups for the early part of the season. I don't think Kirilov's going to be down for long. I think he's going to be among the very first prospects called up a couple weeks into the season. So if you drafted him, I wouldn't be completely disheartened by the news. It's it's not out of the question. It's kind of what most teams just do with their prospects at this point. Uh, so I think we'll see him probably by the third week of the year. I wouldn't worry too much about the roundabout way that he's going to get there. Yeah, do not drop. Absolutely <laughs> find a way to stash Kirilov uh, because he may not be down for long. And we've got a couple of closer notes here. One is a follow-up to a story that we discussed on here on Tuesday, and that is uh, the Kirby Yates injury now looks like he will very likely be headed for Tommy John surgery. And then on the other side of that story is who replaces him. And Blue Jays manager Charlie Montoyo says that he's at least initially going with a committee. So if uh, DVR yesterday you were pushing Jordan Romano up your uh, rankings for your your upcoming drafts. Does this change anything for you? Yeah, I still think Romano is my favorite in that committee. I think the underlying skills are better than that of Rafael Dolis. The Jays have other options. So if they wanted to be a team that was more progressive about how they manage their bullpen, they certainly have the options to do it that way. Uh, a lot hinges on the roles they have for guys like Julian Merriweather and possibly at some point Thomas Hatch. But if I had to speculate on one reliever in Toronto right now, it's Jordan Romano. I, I think he's probably at least in the top 25 for me among relievers right now, kind of in the third, fourth tier of closers, guys who are pretty interesting that if he gets those first few opportunities and really does a great job closing out games, we could be talking about him as a possible source of 30 saves this year. I think that's within his range of outcomes. Yeah, I think to say he's top 20, 25, maybe even a little, uh, a little conservative given how many closers there are that we can really count on to be full-time at that uh, in that role for the whole season so you know big big move uh potentially for Romano in terms of rankings even again with that uh, announcement that Montoya is going with a committee so a lot happening there uh in Toronto and then also uh for the second time this week DVR we need to give a uh, shout out to one of our beat writers who appeared on this program because uh, earlier in the week, Michael Beller and I gave props to Dennis Lynn for tipping us off that Emilio Pagan was probably going to get most of the saves, or at least he could get most of the saves in San Diego. It does look like that's probably what's going to happen. And then Zach Meisel came on here and told us one of the most surprising things from the whole team preview series, at least as far as I'm concerned, that he said he thought Nick Whitgren had a really good chance to be Cleveland's closer. And Terry Francona pretty much echoed that uh, to Tom Withers of the AP. So props to Zach Meisel. Yeah, absolutely. I think the tricky thing here, I had been staying away from James Karinchak at price all along just because of the high walk rates, despite the fact that he could maybe lead the league in strikeout rate, which is a pretty amazing thing for, for any reliever to be able to do. Uh, but I think with Whitgren, he's stepping ahead of Emmanuel Class A. I had Class A ranked ahead of Whitgren throughout draft season. I still want to take a little bit of a wait-and-see approach. I think if you drafted Karinchak, especially where he was going, you want to wait a week or two before even thinking about cutting him just to make sure that Francona stays with that plan and make sure that they actually play it out the way they're describing. 
And I would say the same is probably true for Class A, too. This is a guy that throws 100 with movement, as we talked about with Zach on that team preview a few weeks ago. Clearly a guy they really liked since he was the return for Corey Kluber with that trade they made with the Rangers more than a year ago. Lost his 2020 season to a suspension. So I wouldn't write off the possibility of Class A still getting that chance somewhat early in the season. And I would say that Whitgren versus Jordan Romano is actually a pretty interesting toss-up if you haven't drafted yet. It is. And I guess that there's one thing maybe to temper our enthusiasm, just on top of all the things you just said, DVR, um, that this specific report from Tom Withers said that Francona says Wickren may start the year as the Cleveland closer. So, you know, we shouldn't pencil him in for 25 or 30 saves just yet, because uh, maybe he is just keeping the seat warm for one of those uh, two younger relievers. Yeah, absolutely. May start the season as the closer is a key word there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, more value, I think, than a lot of people were expecting for Wickren this year. But, you know, let's let's not uh, catapult him into, you know, say the top 20 relievers just yet. But still pretty, pretty important and impactful news there. So with all of the uh, news and the uh, injury developments uh, out of the way, DVR, how did you feel about your uh, Tout Wars draft uh, that uh, you just had what, just this past weekend, right? Yeah, on Saturday. I mean, all in all, I think it went pretty well. Usually it's a top-heavy build for me in that format. This year was no exception. I bought the first two players. Josh Hader was 20. He was my nomination. I threw him out there at 20, trying to figure out what the market was for closers. You know, My number was 23 on Hader, so I may have got there pretty quickly if anybody else had just plus one him. Uh, but I wanted to make sure I had a top-end closer, one top-end starter, not necessarily DeGrom or Cole, but at least someone inside the top 10 among starting pitchers, one high OBP masher, so ideally one of Soto or Trout. It's possible I could have got outbid for both. And then one other sort of late first rounder who does everything. And that group could have been anyone from Jose Ramirez to Trevor Story to Christian Yelich. Any one of those players would have worked. It just so happened Ramirez was the second player nominated. I thought he was supposed to go in the high 40s. I thought 46 or 47 would have been an appropriate price based on what happened last year in that room. I got him at 44. So it was a bit of a coincidence that I got the first two players off the board. It wasn't completely by design. I mean, having the first nomination, there was a high probability I'd get the player I wanted, but uh, Ramirez was actually just random chance based on the prices I was expecting him to go for. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So you didn't really necessarily go in with the attention of going as stars and scrubs as you did. It was really just more an issue of the timing. A little bit of timing and just what the room did. I mean, I, I think I have taken the position of being willing to have a more balanced team in a 15-team mixed league if I don't like the prices early. And I think of the last five years that I've been in this league, there's only been one year where I couldn't get the high-end players I wanted at the prices I wanted. And... That was my worst year in the league so far. So kind of weird that it worked out that way. Uh, but I was prepared to have a more balanced approach. If you look at guys uh, like Alex Bregman uh, in particular, I thought he was a really good top-end player who came at a value a little bit later. Uh, if you look at some of the older, former early-round players we've talked a lot about on this show, you know, Chris Bryant, Matt Chapman, Jose Altuve, 
those guys all went for, I think, really nice prices. So if I had to build a roster around guys like that, I'm more than comfortable doing it this year because I think there is enough value there to pull it off. But I just thought the room was going to be more aggressive early, and and they weren't. And, and Francisco Lindor at 29 was me price enforcing. I thought Lindor should have been in the low 30s, so I just jumped him to 29, expecting the rest of the room to do the bidding for me from there. <laughs> and I got a sold, so I was stunned, and it wasn't part of the plan. But you, you have a lot of flexibility in any mixed auction because the $1 players and the $2 players end up being good, interesting players that generally do just about everything. There were closers available late. Uh, there was a little bit of speed available late. I mean, it didn't really matter what you needed in the end game. It seemed like there were paths to it because of uh, how the spending ended up playing out throughout the middle part of the auction, which was really bizarre. I just thought people were going to spend up more early, but they ended up spending closer to full price on mid-tier players instead. Yeah, well, that uh, Lindor buy to me was the, one of the first things that jumped out to me looking at your team. Uh, I thought that was really uh, tremendous. Uh, your pitching also stood out too because you've got Walker Bueller and Aaron Savali, who's one of my favorites, and a, several $1 pitchers and pitchers with a lot of variants. Uh, Mike Soroka, of course, uh, coming off of injury and getting a late start. Yusei Kikuchi, who has last season had great peripherals but not great results. Mackenzie Gore, who... Um, you know, is is a big uh, wild card for the season, Jamison Tyone. So was that, again, was that your intention to build your pitching staff that way or just responding to the room and, and you know, where you had already uh, spent your money? So that was the pivot I had to make because of the Lindor purchase. That was not by design. Like in, in the way I, I structured what I thought was going to happen, the number of high-priced players I'd have kind of in each slot, I just didn't have room for Lindor initially. And when I had that, I had to take away from the pitching. And I figured taking some chances with starting pitching made some sense because I think the market in general, maybe not necessarily in this room, but the market in general is overpricing starting pitching. And that's at the top end of the pool, but the bottom half of the pool might be full of value. So I tried to do as much as I could in that range. I thought the 5 to $7 range of pitching was going to be pretty good in terms of the number of options I had. And I thought it played out that way. I mean, I'm happy with what I did. There's obviously risk when you're relying on guys that haven't done it over a full season, when you're relying on guys like Tyone, who've had extensive injury histories, and even Soroka coming off of uh, the, the ruptured Achilles. I mean, those are all risky pitchers. Um, but I also trust my ability to effectively find quality innings on the waiver wire. I think that's something that I've done pretty well in this league for a while now. So I felt like leaning into the variance of cheaper pitching was something I could afford to do in order to have that advantage with my core of hitters. Now, that's the thing with drafts is that you always have to be prepared to change course and uh, you know adjust uh, uh, given what, what uh, the room is giving you. And um, just really quickly, I a few weeks back did my Tout Wars draft. Uh, first time DVR that I've been in Tout Wars that you and I were not in the mixed league together, the 15-teamer. So I moved over to the 12 team, uh, the new 12 team league with, um, some new categories, innings pitched instead of wins and saves and holds plus saves. So very excited to play in that, um, that format. Uh, we'll see if I drafted appropriately already. I've lost Carlos Carrasco, Nate Pearson and Jose Leclerc, but the Leclerc one, you know, initially I just uh, thought, Oh, this is horrible. And then, you know, I realized, well, it saves plus holds. So he's actually much more replaceable in that uh, that format. So still adjusting to that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Carrasco could be a little tricky to replace, especially with innings pitch being important. And, you know, that's going to be a category everyone might be chasing, depending on how teams actually manage their staffs. But uh, I do like that you know, TJ Antone and Freddie Peralta are on your roster. I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, they they might allow me to uh, you know make up some of that loss, and especially if Corey Kluber, who I also drafted, if he can pitch uh, sort of like Carrasco might have, then uh, at least for the time that Carrasco's out, and maybe those two Peralta and Antone can can fill in the gap. So uh, you know we'll be revisiting these squads throughout the season. Uh, really, really fun stuff. Um, but uh, on that note, DVR, we are going to wrap up this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you are listening to this podcast uh, on a format that lets you uh, rate and review us, we would greatly appreciate if you took the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Thursday. 